Welcome to another episode of The Grappling Arts. The guest for this episode is Sam Benjamin. Sam Benjamin is an award-winning actor known for his role in The War of the Worlds in 2019 and guest turns in Doctor Who and Peaky Blinders. Recently he starred in the Netflix action movie I Am Vengeance Retaliation in 2020 alongside former wrestler Stu Bennett. As well as acting, Sam is also a writer and director and of course a massive wrestling fan. We discuss Sam's career, the intersections between acting and wrestling, and a selection of Sam's favourite matches, including Goldberg vs Hollywood Hulk Hogan. As always, if you've enjoyed the show, please follow, subscribe and leave a review. Enjoy the episode. Great. Uh, yeah, sounds sounds busy. It's great that you have had the time to be able to join us for a chat about all yeah. manner of wrestling. I've wanted to do this interview really since as long as we've been doing grappling arts like going back oh. to our kind of conversation where you reached out it was like wrestling me too and yeah. I thought this would be a really fun conversation to do on a podcast so um it's great that we've been able to carve out the time to be able to do it yeah. um cool so maybe maybe we'll just dive in just is that cool in, yeah okay <laughs> okay um in typical grappling arts fashion like the the start of a podcast is always like have we started or is yeah. this the preamble yeah. that we never yeah. sure. um so yeah um so we're really glad that sam benjamin is able to join us and to have a chat about wrestling acting writing and probably all manner of other things uh, as the podcast progresses so um sam maybe you could just take some time to introduce yourself in any way that you would like to introduce yourself well, let me tell you something, Claire. I am no. Uh, uh, oh, um, hi. <laughs> My name <laughs> is Sam Benjamin. I weigh <laughs> one hundred and ninety pounds, um, and I hail originally from um, Merseyside, England. Hey. And, um, I uh, so yeah. I am a professional actor, um, also a screenwriter. I yeah, grew up in Merseyside, Land of the Beatles, moved to London. A lot of stuff happened between them, but moved to London when I was 21, uh, 22 to go to drama school and graduated from drama school 2009. And so I've been 11 years, 12 years on the road, as Steve Austin might say, um, hustling for that acting work. And um, I've done about 35 TV and film jobs, including Peaky Blinders, Doctor Who, The War of the Worlds. I'm a, I'm a leading role in the Netflix movie I Am Vengeance Retaliation with Stu Bennett and Vinnie Jones. And I recently filmed uh, my directing debut, a short film called Screw Jobs, set in the world of professional wrestling. And I am, so I'm in post production for that. And I am also about to star and co-write a feature film, which is a crime caper called The Payday. Um, so that is in production at the moment um, with an actress called Kyla Fry. So that's me. Awesome. You're, you're not wrong when you say you're quite busy. Like, yeah. um... Well, and then, and then just, just a cherry on the cake is I've, I'm a lifelong wrestling fan. I, um, I had this really cool thing. I forget who said it, where uh, I think it was a screenwriter and they're in their 60s and they said, ultimately, he's realised that when you're around 10, you're at that peak age where you've got enough about you to have interests 
and instinctively gravitate towards things, but you don't yet have shame for liking stuff that you might think that other people think is crap. So he argues that when you're around that age, a lot of the stuff that you're into comes back around in your adult life because you realize, hang on a minute, that's what I loved. So you could say wrestling was that for me. So, um, yeah, I've been a fan, I guess, since around 93 was when I fell into it. Uh, a, uh, my mum's childminder um, had a boyfriend who loved wrestling and he used to bring around VHS tapes. And I remember one of the first ones he showed me had uh, the Narcissus Lex Luger in it. Um, so, and then, uh, so yeah, and I've been a fan ever since. I've, I've felt, I've dropped out a couple times and then swung back in um for various reasons which we might get into but yeah i think it's professional wrestling i'm in awe of it i'm in awe of professional wrestlers i think it's pretty much the mo one of the most impressive professions in the world for all the skills that's required of it uh, for it to be done well and yeah i just can't get enough of it i spend way too much time listening to it watching it um you know all all those things and a lot of the wrestlers a lot of different wrestlers have inspired me as a performer and as a writer and as a human as well. So, yeah, I, I reckon we'll we'll definitely come to some of those things um, as we go on. So, um, you kind of got into it in like '93. So, so what was it? Do you think that kind of drew you originally to pro wrestling? This kind of odd, weird thing that we all really love. I think, I think it was. It went. I think it went hand in hand. With it's hard to pinned down really um i just instantly just got into it and i think it was obviously the characters you fall in love with but also i think you know i'm a i was a big action film guy big even though i was way too young you know saturday nights when my dad would be watching die hard predator um you know true lies with arnold and all of those kind of you know stallone rocky um so i think initially the attraction was these muscular macho dudes that were heroic that stopped the, the bad guys perhaps i think that was it was probably that visceral you know you want justice to be served um so just basic drama i guess but yeah and then obviously the the physicality of it just everything about it the the, the entrance music the the way it just combines so many different things um, you've got you've got the music you've got the moves you've got the story you've got also the talking like i love that i've always and the older i've got the more i've realized especially in what i would say in today's wwe era it's making me realize how just actually the talking might be more important than than we think uh, and and it might sometimes be more important than the actual moves um, because that sets everything up. So I think I love the talk and the, you know, the dropping the stuff on the mic and how everyone had, you know, you'd, well, I remember watching those old Survivor Series VHS videos and it would have the intro and each, each wrestler would give their preamble, you know, have Jake the Snake giving this really like cold, direct, quiet down the lens and then Bruce the Barber Beefcake doing some craziness with his, you know, with his scissors. So, so yeah, it was all of that stuff. Yeah, great. Um, yeah, I think, again, like, it, you're kind of speaking, well, certainly speaking about, I think, some language as well, we're talking about the importance of, like, speech and the importance of the story. Um, it's something that we come back to quite a lot on this podcast, actually. Um, so you kind of mentioned that you went to drama school. I wondered if you could just kind of fill us in a bit on that 
backgrounds you've worked under some really amazing people mm. some really amazing playwrights I was sort of as I was doing my research I was like wow like you know Simon Stevens and it's just really it's great so I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about that acting background and about your about your training um yeah I guess well uh, drama studio London is one of the classic uh drama schools of England you know which has a great world reputation and that was just it was classical you got you learned your Shakespeare you learned your Chekhov you learned all your fundamentals you know voice training combat training um stagecraft the history of theatre it was just everything screen acting just every element of it um and it, I worked with some fantastic people and it was also I guess on the job training as well um, because you'd be thrown into these plays and you'd have to perform in front of an audience. Um, and it was a real sense of discovery because, you know, there were certain times when um, my, the whole ethos of our drama school was was for you to find your own way of doing it. No actors the same. And, and then what they would do is they'd throw different characters at you that purposely didn't fit you to see how you did out of your comfort zone. And then the theory being is that when you come out into the industry, you're going to be playing characters that are close to your natural energy anyway. But when the time comes, when you're thrown a challenge and you've got to do a role that requires a certain element of transformation, you have tools to pull on to get away from yourself and, and step into other, other people's shoes that are very different to you. Um, so yeah, and then Simon Stevens was, it was actually a playwriting course at the Lyric Theatre. Mm -hmm. And that was just a amazing fundamentals of story, which sometimes I wonder that some people in, in, in some modern wrestling examples don't know. Um, but it's just all those classic things, you know, like, um, you know, making the bad guys as bad as possible. And then most of the time you got a story. Um, take a character, your, your hero and drag them through hell and the more hellish their journey the more you're going to side with them you know stuff like that that applies to every art form of storytelling so that was incredible Simon Stevens is 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 fantastic yeah yeah great brilliant um so I suppose I, I want to just very briefly touch on something you've already mentioned which is around like superheroes just because I just frankly, because I'm really interested. And because you kind of talk about like Batman, you're on your IMDb, you were like, there's a kind of a, a bit that says like, you know, massively into Batman as a kid. And I was thinking, huh, interesting. And I feel I'm kind of interested in this intersection of the superhero wrestling and acting and how that kind of comes together a little bit. So do you think it was kind of a, an appreciation of that kind of superhero storylines, but also maybe that superhero physique? Um, which connected you with with wrestling a bit, like a love of Batman, but also a love of Hogan, for example. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that definitely relates to it. Um, there's there's some kind of crossover, which I'm thinking about how that boils down. I think it's a combination of it's family influences as well. Um, I'm sure I, I can. I, I want to. I'll talk about my dad when we get to one of the matches that we've yeah. mentioned, but. Um, yeah, the physique thing, I mean, the, the, I think, and I'd be interested to hear what you guys think of this, but, you know, there's no, everyone knows that the physiques in, say, 86, 89, and 93 were looked, uh, as a cross-section, look completely different to the physiques in 2021. Um, and a, a lot of people have thoughts about that um, either way. 
But it, I think it is true that when you're a kid, seeing out of the ordinary, impressive superhero like He-Man physiques, it, it it does grab your attention and it's desirable and it's it's aspirational and it's powerful, it's strength. It's, you know, it's all of those things that as a kid you want to latch on to. And when I was a kid, I, I remember vividly that I hated watching anything that had kids in it. Any story or cartoon where the lead people were children or teenagers, I was like, I don't want to be a kid. Being a kid's crap. I want to be I want to be a man. That's what I want to be. And then so I think that tied into it. I don't want to watch some, you know, some, oh, you know, teen thing with these children on their summer holiday and they go on this adventure. I want to watch He-Man or Stallone trying to, you know, single-handedly win the Vietnam War. Uh, so, so yeah, I think there is a the, there's something there, and I think maybe that taps into wish fulfillment or or just physically it being quite impressive to watch. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I had a moment like this yesterday. We were watching after Jericho tweeted out about the Rock. Um, yesterday, we we rewatched mm -hmm. that Raw from October two thousand, I think it is, and um, and China's in that in that, um, and so so my husband. I have a conversation about like if I was a kid, which like which yeah. women would have inspirational. I was like China, like absolutely, like hundred no. percent. And, and he was, and he's like you're Ultimate Warrior. Same reasons, yeah. just like these amazing kind, of, you know, these amazing physiques, and you know, you really feel like some work behind them, and that they could take on anything. Like you just feel like China yeah. could do anything. Mm. In that. Like you know, so so I totally, I totally get that. Yeah, um, come in, Sam. Um, yeah, I've got a question. I think our. Um... I, definitely our fandom overlaps almost identically because that's 93 years when I started watching wrestling as well. Mm -hmm. wonder if, um, was it just watching wrestling or did you have things like the action figures and same in, again in terms of like superheroes and you mentioned things like He-Man and... Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. I had all the action. I had Batman, I had Thundercats, I had He-Man and I had my action, uh, I had my wrestling uh wwf wrestling figures with the ring and i used to make an entrance way i like cardboard boxes and I'd, I'd have a i'd play the music as well at a certain point and I'd, I'd have but the thing is i always remember this as well i remember when we'd have at school when we had like a toy day and you could bring in toys and other people would bring in their wrestlers i was like i i didn't <laughs> maybe this is a hint of my taste but I, I wanted it to be really grounded. Like, you know, when so on a simple level, if somebody like lifted up their act, their ultimate warrior action figure, like 30 feet in the air, I'd be like, what are you doing? That's not like, what's going on? That's, you know, like Superman can do that, but that this is, you know, this is a sport. What are we doing here? So I, I do remember that vividly. So yeah, I love the, the, the recreation of it and telling your own stories within it. Uh, definitely. Yeah. Do you, do you think that there's a that that kind of fed into your interest in drama and acting? And did you how how young were you when you started kind of getting into actual acting roles and stuff like that? Did, did you uh, it, for as long as I can remember, I've wanted to be an actor. Um, so I'd even say since I was in reception when they said go up and say what you want to be when you're older. I think it's that it's that early, and it was more of a case of losing the dream through the teenage years and it getting beaten out of you by advisors teachers and career people and then mm. rediscovering it um and i was lucky because i rediscovered it when i was 16 
um, rather than rediscovering it when I was 50, unhappy and working as a lawyer. So, uh, um, so yeah, it definitely played a part in all the vocal elements of it. Like I've always, as an actor, I've always been quite skilled at accents. And even someone the other day, they said, oh, like how, how come your American accent's so flawless and you can do all these different American accents? And I think in hindsight, it's because I was doing impressions of, you know, Bret Hart and, you know, Macho Man and Mean Gene and all these people and doing the commentary. That was a key element of playing with the action figures, doing the commentary. So all of that, I think, definitely played into it. Doing voices um, definitely uh, was a, it was an outlet, but also it fed the acting. Yeah. And maybe, maybe that kind of leads us very seamlessly onto thinking about how, how you think wrestling has made um, a kind of broader difference to um, your acting or your writing or the characters that you create. I mean, there are some obvious like um, films yeah. and, and acting roles that we could mention here, including yeah. kind of our inventions, but maybe there are other things as well that you, um, in your TV characters and like that, what, ways that wrestling has sort of influenced your style or you had a moment where you've been in a particular role and thought, huh, this is, this is like wrestling, <laughs> or you've been yeah. reminded about something perhaps. I think, um, I, I mean, obviously, because I know I've grown up on wrestling it's to me it's inseparable in the sense that um not only have you got the elements of the actual lifestyle there's a parallel in terms of paying your dues get working for low money early on or no money in front of crap audiences or small audiences doing what you think might be amazing stuff but nobody's seeing it and fighting to get your shot, to get to be seen, to get a chance, to get that agent to see you, to get that casting director to give you permission to come in and show what you can do. All of the packaging yourself, making videos and putting it on whatever social media it might be. So there's that element. But then the other element of um, where a character fits in with a story, um, when you get a film, you know, I've, I've played some characters that are, you know, I've played a policeman who's in, you know, three scenes in a Peaky Blinders episode. And you have to recognize what his role is in the story. Like you can't, you're not there. And this is another thing that I think happens a lot now is if you're the third match in and the main event is, you know, the world championship match in a cage, it's your job tonight is not to outdo the cage match. Your job tonight is to, is to facilitate that journey toward to, to make the whole thing work for the audience in the maximum way possible. So if you're, a, you know, in, in the Peaky Blinders, an example, I was a policeman and at first he seems like he's an honest guy, but the twist is, is that he's paid up by the gang. So again, it's like, you know, you think he's a face, but then he, he heel turns and then that's the dramatic moment. So there's loads of elements of a, how your character fits into it, but then also, I guess one of the things that swims around a lot now, I've been doing it for over 10 years. And one thing that I started becoming aware of and using from wrestling, whether it be for an audition, whether it be for how I promote myself or how I, how I play characters as you start to go, well, hang on a minute. What is my gimmick? Why would anyone employ me? You know, it's like I could, I could, I could audition for a role and now I can see the role on paper and recognize that you probably want someone else to do that. I 
oh, you want me to be the ringmaster? I, I can do it if you're paying me, no probs. But you probably want to get someone who fits better. And then you, in this, and then later on you go, oh, you know, then you start to realize what can I do that other people can't do? You know, Steve Austin can play a Texan redneck beer guzzling anti-authoritarian guy better than he can play some cold ringmaster managed by Ted DiBiase character. Um, you know, s- similar to, we're going to talk about it, but Bret Hart, when he had that pro-Canadian anti-American, you know, thing, it was, it was tapping into his own energy. And I think once I started, I'm not saying I figured it all out, but once I start, you start to recognize, hang on, what is my gimmick? If someone didn't know me and they were like, yeah, let's bring Sam Benjamin in. Why would they bring me in? I'm a white guy. I'm I'm in my thirties. I've got dark hair. You know what I mean? I could play, I could fit into many different characters, but who are you? What is your energy? What is your persona? Are you the guy that does this? Are you the guy that does that? You know, so Daniel Day-Lewis, his gimmick is that he can transform into anyone you want. Whereas Tom Cruise's gimmick is that he can run really fast and he can, he can do action. He can do hard emotion. Um, you know, everyone, every actor, when you start to analyze it, has their gimmick. You know, Arnold's gimmick is that he's a physique. Like that's his main gimmick. Um, in the same, you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman played angry, swearing, bitter characters that you still loved because he was so direct you know all those things so you start to work out what is my gimmick and how can i lean into it and then more work comes so i guess that'll be the main way that it, it's it's helped yeah it's such an such an awesome answer like thank you so much for sharing that and that's amazing um sam i'm going to turn it over to you to talk wrestling well i'm going to kind of keep busting in but like um, <laughs> um you mentioned already sam a couple of like um wrestling matches that you sent through to us uh, mm-hmm. so we could we could talk it out today i was um i was made up with the ones you sent and um, yeah I'll, I'll turn it over to sam for the, for the chat <laughs> um i trying to think which what would be the best order to start in um i think possibly i want to start with the goldberg um hogan match actually mm-hmm. from from nitro um yeah i guess like firstly i could see I could see why you selected all three matches and I felt that all three matches had something in common. Ooh. And and that being the I mean exceptional audiences for each of those matches that were exactly where you would want them to be for those matches. Um but then also the, this kind of sense of spe- spectacle and occasion um and also like the, the fact that all three of them have a kind of place in wrestling law, I guess. Um they're both sort of fairly steeped, all three matches, sorry, are fairly steeped in kind of mythology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I wondered, what, firstly, what was your rationale for kind of selecting matches? Uh, it was a tricky one. The truth is, uh, obviously, you've you got to whittle it down to three, which I think was the brief. Um, you know, there are honorable, honorable mentions out there, which might even be my go-tos for greatest matches ever. For example, Bulldog Brett at SummerSlam 92. And Austin, Bret Hart, WrestleMania 13. But both of those, I feel like everybody knows they are classics. So I wanted to point out ones that people know, but some people might not have seen or actually appreciate. So with with, uh, Goldberg versus Hollywood Hogan, uh, 98 at the Georgia Dome, for me, the more I think about it, I think it could be my favorite match. And I think because in truth, I watched it, I watched it 
with my dad on TV, on TNT. And I was so invested in that match. Yeah. And I think, first of all, I think it's unprecedented because it was a TV, it was a weekly TV show and the Georgia Dome was full. As far as I know, WWE have never done that. As far as I know, they haven't had that kind of crowd. So I wanted to put across a little bit of how actually WCW, for all its flaws, had some of the greatest moments in wrestling in the 90s. Um, and to me, that match was the pinnacle of what pro wrestling can be. A, a crowd that desperately wants the hero to beat the villainous champion in a hometown crowd and everyone was behind him and it had been building for about a year and a half. And it was patient and Hogan was just at the time the ultimate dick. He was the champ. He cheated in every match. So, it, And because he used to be a fan favourite, he was additionally easy to hate because back in the day he won fair and square and now he's just lazy and cowardly and wants his cronies to help him all the time. And it was, and, and they really did. I think another thing that doesn't happen as much now is even though as a kid, I was furious every week. They really did make the bad guys win week on week on week on week. <clears throat> and, and they'd show a glimmer like one week, the Steiners had come in and like clean house a bit, but then get beaten down by 20 NWO guys. And it would just kept on going on. And then, a hero would potentially emerge and then he'd move to the NWO. So then you just had this. And then Goldberg was the antithesis to the NWO. Just no, no gimmicks, black trunks, uh, an athlete. And one of the special things about that as well, in addition to how it played out and how big the crowd was and just how it had every little, it was quick. It wasn't too long either. And it was, it had the right element of, there was a bit of shenanigans, but, heroes from the back came in and prevented the shenanigans so again you're playing with the audience because then as soon as like i think it was kurt hennig starts walking down you're like no no don't oh no come on and then you know you had a celeb appearance ddp who was one of the other solo heroes of wcw and as well as that um gold but my dad was a uh, an amateur boxer and he was one of those people like, oh wrestling oh that's just play fighting what do you watch this for and then I used to watch Raw um, on a Friday night and my dad's at the weekend. And then one week I turn up and he's like, are you going to be watching that Raw tonight? And I went, well, yeah, I was planning to. And it was on Sky Sports. And he goes, you don't want to watch that. You want to watch this other one on TNT. And I was like, what do you mean? And he goes, oh, you got to see it. There's this guy Goldberg. He's a beast. So he Goldberg converted my dad to wrestling. And so uh, the other thing I love about that match is you look at the crowd, it's not wrestling fans. It's every kind of person. It's, it's different ages, teenagers, lads getting hammered. There's women, there's older people. There's just, there's kids. There's just, I love that mix and diversity of people that are in there just to watch a hero win rather than like, Ooh, let's watch some impressive moves. They didn't care what the moves were. They're waiting for the three count. So those are the reasons why that match stands out. And I can still watch it. I get goosebumps. Like when, when I can't think of a moment when, like when Goldberg lifts him up or when he spears him and the crowd, you just get shivers. It's like 70,000 people willing him to, um, I can't think of another match for me that had a bigger crowd support, maybe like Hogan back in the eighties perhaps, but 
yeah, I just think it's magnificent. Yeah, and there's a, there's a, there's also the stuff around because um, I, I remember watching it. Um, I think me and a friend who's kind of like my best friend, and he record either he would record either Raw and when we'd watch we'd watch either Raw or Nitro, and we'd record the other one and yeah. watch it on a Saturday. Um, and I think he came around to mine on a Saturday with the with the VHS tape that was used each week to record it. Love it. And we watched it, and I remember watching the build to it as well. And you know, think even things like the contract sign, like the contract being signed the, the week before. Um, but then also the actual the whole episode of Nitro. I think if you'd watch in isolation, it's brilliant. But yeah, yeah stick through the whole episode of Nitro. The way they build it throughout the episode is really, yeah. really good. And then the Goldberg entrance where he's in the locker. Just so captivating. Like I could oh. work entrance. I don't really care what happens, you know, in the ring once he beats them, but just the entrance and the spectacle of that crowd chanting the, the you know the Goldberg chant. Yeah. Again, one of the best chants. Yeah. And yeah, I think being it, accompanied it, by security guards as well and all that sort of stuff. And in addition to what to that, you just prompted me to think like when you think of the entrance, other things that WCW at the time did so well, Michael Buffer on doing the intros like it's it made it legit and and how detailed his descriptions was he made it like a sport you know he'd read off his the match record what their finisher move was um their weight would be to within the half pound and you know hailing from here duh, 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 played for the atlanta falcons duh, 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 you know everything and then even hogan reaming off all of his history five-time world champion duh, duh, which was which was you know, significant in 98. Um, and even, and as well, I don't know whether you know, I picked up on this one, I rewatched it, is the commentary from Shivani and Heenan. And the fact that if you watched Hogan era in the 80s with Heenan and how Heenan was a heel commentator and you hated him. And now Heenan was so desperate He'd had he'd had enough of the NWO and he was like, finish him, finish him off. And it was like you hadn't heard that kind of, but it was it was really realistic. It wasn't, you didn't get the feeling he was getting piped in to, to say it. He was it was like it was almost like that it was for their jobs. That's that's how high stakes it was. Um so yeah, all of that. All of that. Yeah, it's something that I think that was the probably the reason that maybe the reason why WCW was ahead at that point was that. They were able to make every episode of Nitro feel like it was. I think even Shivani was one of his cliche comments would be it's the one of the biggest nights in the history of our sport. Yeah. <laughs> He'd say that every week. But yeah, it, but it did feel like it at the time. <laughs> I love that line as well. I love that line. Um. So then, I guess so. So the other one would be, and it's probably. I mean, it's about a year, isn't it? A year before is the the Stampede. Um, mm. In your house, Canadian Stampede. Yeah. So, what what was it about that match then that, that that drew you to it? So, I chose this match because, again, I think it might be one that not everybody knows about. Um, I don't know. I'd be interested to hear where where you guys stood on this. But when I was, I'll go into a bit of my personal connection to this. So, obviously, I don't know about you two, but as as a Brit. Davy Boy Smith, the British, the British Bulldog, and in that vein of what I said before of non-childish, heroic, masculine men, every single example of that growing up in the 90s was American. Davy Boy Smith was the only British 
pre, aside from James Bond, the only British action superhero, like international star that I could root for that was from my home country. And in addition, obviously I'm from the Northwest as well. Um, so not too far away. So I was always behind Bulldog and then Bret Hart for me is probably the best in-ring storyteller of all time. Um, so pair that backstory. And I remember, and also I absolutely in the nineties, I absolutely despised Shawn Michaels. And, um, and when, so when, so all of that backstory and then when Brett came back and he started getting really, he was doing this like crybaby thing of like saying, dropped a great promo where he shoved Vince McMahon on the floor, which I actually think is the beginnings of attitude. Um, you know, I think he doesn't get enough credit for what he started with the way he started to say, you know, this is, this is BS, you know, swearing and saying I'm the best, da, 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 you know, just really vivid and real. Um, and then when, um, and then I just thought, I just had a sensation that I thought my, even though they wanted to people to side against Brett, I was like, no, he is getting screwed. You know, Psycho Sid interfered with this. Um, Shawn Michaels dodged the WrestleMania match. And now, you know, now he's back again. Like, was he injured or not? And then all of this stuff. And then when he, and then when there was, a, remember there was a roar where um, Owen and Bulldog started to fall out and they had, they were fighting each other. And then Brett came out and then was like, you know, guys, we need to stick together. It's these fans, these American fans that turned you on us. And so obviously because Bulldog was in it and because Brett was in it, I was all in. I, it didn't matter what they said from that point on. I was there like Canada and Britain were doing this baby. And then the more the American fans didn't like it, the more I got into it. Um, and the Canadian stampede felt like a culmination. And it was like the peak of that storyline, which I think has never been touched even close to such a unique dynamic um, with it being so partisan in different territories mm -hmm. of the world. And one character being a heel and then going to another town and being flipped. And I think it was just so... And then when you watch the match, the again, something that I love, completely partisan crowds, hostile, aggressive crowds that really want their heroes to win. And you can tell, like, Steve Austin's loving every minute because he's obviously used to being the hero, but, like, he's doing, like, low blows and fingering the audience and he's getting booed and... Um, I just think it's a real, I think it was just also, it's almost like a commemorative um, showcase of 10 of the best stars of an era. And when you go back now, you're like, oh my, like, oh, hang on, Jim Nighthawk, oh, Owen Hart, Brian Pillman. And then you're like, Shamrock, Goldust, Legion of Doom, Steve Austin. Um, and again, it's it just so much star power. And, and they, I could be wrong, but I get the impression that they really were just feeling the audience and, and they had them in the palm of their hand and every moment of it, even though there was nothing theoretically riding on it, at the same time, everything was riding on it. It was pride and yeah, I just thought it was a really good moment in time, which um, kind of, it sums up that Canada-America rivalry storyline with Bret Hart, because I think we all get distracted by the Montreal screw job later on, but I think we forget that that, and like 97 and, you know, everyone talks about the attitude here, but I thought 97 for WWF was one of the best years before Bret Hart left. Um, even his match with Undertaker at SummerSlam was just masterful. 
um, where he he was going to never wrestle in America again if he didn't win. Um, but then Michaels was the ref. And I, even as a kid, I'm thinking, who's going to win? Who Who is going to win this? Because <laughs> Michaels isn't, he's the ref. He's not going to let Brett win. And then, but, you know, so yeah, Stampede, I just think it's a fun partisan match with lots of stars in it. It's just a real, you know, the camera shakes from the building. So, yeah. Claire, any, any thoughts on that one? I, I mean, that's what stood out for me, really, was like, I, it, for all three, really, but particularly perhaps for this one, was like the amazingly partisan crowd. And I, I was sort of mulling over, like, how you could do this now, whether there'd be a possibility or a way of doing this now. And, like, I, actually, I wonder if the UK would be a place where you could have, you know, if you had a British stable guy who was a heel in wwe and they came over and like and and you know that would be because i i like for me like not you know i unlike you two i didn't grow up with wrestling my mum thought it was like super dangerous and like there's no way she would have had but um at least she believed you know she she still (laughs) believes yeah tell i've already had this conversation with her like weekly She's like, but they really hurt you. I'm like, mum, right, well, okay. Do. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not winning. Like, it's, it's yeah. she's entirely in kayfabe. Um, but like for me, like the bull, bulldog was someone who transcended like wrestling. So I knew I, I knew who Undertaker was, I knew who Hulk Hogan was, and wasn't that and I was terrified that mm. Undertaker terrified the life of me. Hogan wasn't interested. Bulldog, on the other hand, I was like, oh cool, yeah, he's cool. Yeah. Like, um, so I, 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 even as a kid, I kind of understood that he was cool and he, in essence, represented me. So I, 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 I agree in this, in this match, I, I was, I also felt really part of that kind of partisan crowd. So I was, it's a, it's a match I've watched really, relatively recently, actually, and then watched it again for this, which was really nice. Um, and normally I'm kind of quite an, an Austin fan. Like I, I know yeah. I would get behind Austin, but on this, I was like totally behind, like totally yeah. behind the Canadian, like Canadian and Brits let's do this you know yeah. so in essence it kind of flips flips the, the watchers as well in kind of interesting way so yeah it was cool I thought it was interesting so in terms of the actual match and the kind of way the match was structured I thought it was very interesting like I, I'm going to assume that Brett is calling nearly the whole match because mm. he, he's the master storyteller like you said at the time um but the fact that him and Austin start the match I thought was really interesting yeah go at it straight away 100 miles an hour and i'm thinking when i'm watching that back it's like you normally think about the match um in terms of the audience and and taking the audience and building the audience and building the atmosphere um and when the audience reaches the kind of hottest point is when you hit you know your biggest moves or whatever because the audience is already so hot brett stops 100 miles an hour because it doesn't need to bring it up yeah it's just a really clever because the other way you would do that is probably the, the more typical way would be to keep those two apart for yeah, yeah. and then even so even have Austin where Austin like as the heel would tag out when Brett comes in you could yeah. and then get booze but yeah it was just because mm. they hit but the thing is it fitted in like you say with it was lo- one thing I love about that match it was logical um, mm. and Brett Brett is all about logic isn't he but it's mm. like well hang on a minute I'm the team captain of this team you're the team captain of that team. Let's see who's going to... I'm going to finish it right now. That You can imagine that was... If it was a film, it's like, I'm going to finish this. And he's like, well, come on then. Like, I'm going to finish it. We're not going to need any of these people. We're going to get to it. And then even like... I don't know whether you... But there's a little touch that I always love that I thought, again, something that's so organic and similar to acting, don't play the 
so you learn your lines, you learn your script, you learn your character, but sometimes, and you're like, right, that line, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to deliver this line like this. It's going to do this. It's going to, it's going to bring the house down. You walk into the set and then the actress turns up and it's a different energy and the set's different to what you thought it would be. And the director's wanting something different and she does something to you that you weren't expecting. So now your planned delivery is now pointless and wrong and untruthful. And it's like, you see it where like Shamrock tags in and then Nighthawk comes in, who's never been in a UFC fight in his life. And he starts doing this like, this like UFC style, like guard, and, as if to be like, well, come on then. Yeah, let's, all right. Yeah, let's, you want to play your game? You know, rather than just doing, oh, I'm Jim Neidhart. This is my move set. Yeah. Just little things like that that I really love, just organic stuff. You don't have to, what's, what, what do they call it? Um, you know, you don't have to fit in all your shit in every match. Yeah. Um, so I think that was what was great. And, you know, the, the, the finish wasn't a particular, like, it wasn't a obvious, um, you know, finisher move, climax. It was like a sports, like, he got it, he got the three. Yeah. Love it. And then the chaos, just the chaos at the end was really yeah. fun as well. Like the, um, yeah. Grabbing yeah. Stu Hart and then clocking Bruce Hart and yeah, all the hearts over the barrier. Yeah. And who did who did Bruce punch? Didn't because I heard didn't he like really hit him for real or something? Who was it? I'm not. I'm not sure of the, the I background. Heard, I know I the man- Bruce. Yeah, Bruce hit someone, and I think the person he hit in hindsight was like, yeah, he he, he laid that in. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> Can't remember who it was. He's an odd, he's an odd character, Bruce Hart. If you read Bret Hart's autobiography, he comes with some yeah. interesting stuff. About Bruce Hart. Um, yeah, yeah. Again, I, I liked that it was reflect reflective of the atmosphere of the audience. Like it was, it itself was really unhinged. Oh yeah, they were rabid. They were yeah, just so into it. Like, and I love that feeling that I'm sure we'll get onto it with the next match. But mm. and it is harder now because of the internet and exposure and all of this, it is really hard, but I do think if I was, if I was running a wrestling promotion, I would be striving for that level of audience investment. Um, I want, I, I want a sensation that the TV viewers thinking if that wrestler ends up in that, in the middle of that crowd, they're going to, they're going to get some cheeky, you know, shots to the face or something. Someone's going to throw a beer over them or, you know, just that little element of obviously, you hear stories from the 70s and 80s where, you know, people are coming out of, you know, uh, coming out of like the deep south and people are waiting with knives and guns and things. Um, you don't want that. But I think just that right element of within within the arena, just that little bit of I mean, I guess the only thing I can think of recent times is maybe like CM Punk against Cena when it was that level of investment, um, which obviously you had the hometown thing, you had the high stakes um you know element of it but i'm trying to think of other um yeah other moments when the crowd was just like what even because the other the other total shocked crowd investment moment i thought was goldberg and lesnar when goldberg shocked him with a quick win um but yeah those are the kind of moments that i think Mm -hmm. professional wrestling is all about that's when it's i heard someone once say they were like oh why'd you watch why'd you still watch wrestling it's it hasn't been great for years they said and then the other person said, um, yeah, I know it hasn't been as great for years, but if I just get that one moment 
it'll be worth it. Just get that one moment, like once a year or once every two years, it's untouchable. Yeah, yeah it Sorry, Sam, it just, it just reminds me a little bit of the... Con yeah, we had a conversation with Sugar Dunkston last week. And one of the things that he said that I've been mulling over ever since is that like wrestling should look like an actual fight. And I know that sounds like a really obvious thing to say, but actually quite a lot of wrestling doesn't look like an actual fight at all. And he's like, of course, occasionally you're going to like... In an actual fight, you're going to slip or you're going... Like, it's not a botch, yeah. it's a fight. And like, yeah. there's going to be these chaotic moments. And I was really reminded of what he said there as I watched this match I was like it felt to me like a real fight and it was all the better for it like it was just on the edge of chaos the whole time and actually yeah. very very exciting yeah. in that way, you know? yeah I mean I was only going to add that I think that maybe the the great moments are more spaced out these days but also like I imagine if you went back and watched the rest of that in your house show, it was it was probably pretty awful up until that main event. Well his and that 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 I mean awful is a strong word, Sam. But um but what, what I'll say to that is, and I've heard um, you know, I listen to I'm sure you guys well, I don't know whether you do, but I listen to a lot of podcasts with you know all the old all the old bookers like Vince Russo, Jim Cornette. I listen to them all. And you know, sometimes Jim Cornette says when you're doing a pay-per-view, not every match is meant to be a 20-minute epic, which is, you know, sometimes when I, I, I stopped watching WWE for about a year, um, but I think a big part of that was the lack of crowd. I just couldn't, it was just a personal thing. I, I just I found it totally unwatchable. Um, and I thought the way AEW did the outdoor thing was was watchable. And it helped that, you know, also there was, they were doing some more interesting stuff. But, um, what was my point to that? I've just completely gone blank. Um, oh, I can't remember now. <laughs> uh, what was it going to do with me for? Cornette, um, 20 minutes. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and Jim Cornette was saying, like, and, and I think NXT is so guilty of this at the moment. I, I hadn't watched it for a while. Turned on the latest pay-per-view, just to think, oh, what's the recent pay-per-view? And the first match was like, felt like it was like 25 minutes. And I'm like, I mean, I know these guys are skilled, but this doesn't need to be 25 minutes. And if every match has to be at least 15 minutes, there's no, you talked about being on the edge of chaos, being on, there's no jeopardy because you can relax because you go, oh, well, I don't really need to pay attention because they're probably going to do some spots for about 10 minutes and then, then they'll start to build to the finish. You do need a match that lasts a minute. You do need a match where someone gets the upper hand quick and it ends in three minutes or someone gets a quick pin or, you need to mix it up. Otherwise, like, like you say, it's like if you watch, you know, how many times I remember when, you know, uh, when pay-per-view in boxing started coming in in the 90s and my dad like paid 50 quid for Tyson Bruno and it was over in 10 seconds. And you're like, oh, what? But you need one of them every now and then because then when you do get a 15 round, um, you know, Tyson Fury fight to the finish, then it means something rather than fight forever for every match. Um, yeah. So I think it is all about, like you said, Claire, um, I think, you know, it should be it should be like UFC. But the only difference is that the matches have choreographed finishes. <laughs> that's, that's yeah. you know, um, and a lot of, you know, Conor McGregor, he's straight out of professional oh. wrestling with his promos. So, yeah, it's, it's something that kind of came up in the episode with Tanisha, didn't it, Claire, where we were talking mm. about? Bianca Blair and Sasha Banks and um, I love that match actually yeah, Under Rosa because I think there is a 
a trend in NXT and now in WWE of sort of kind of overproduced matches mm-hmm. uh, where you get quite a lot of matches that just, yes, they, if you, maybe if you watch them on their own, you'd be like, okay, that's a great match. But then if you watch a pay-per-view of five of them, you can kind of see the production a little bit more. Whereas I think certainly the era that you've, you've kind of flagged up matches um, from, that those will be kind of called on the fly in the ring, really, apart yeah. from the and you can see a little bit more of the kind of the struggle and the, the figuring it figuring it out as you go along, rather than the sort of more highly choreographed style that you see today. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The, so that's maybe a good transition into the other match that you saw. Oh yeah. Um, felt like like I say there were I felt there were a lot of similarities, but also it's kind of somewhat different in terms of its uh, the the time that it that it took place. So 1985. And I wondered, because knowing kind of what loosely what your age is, what what was the reason for going back to 1985 in particular um, NWA? So it's NWA, um, Starcade 85, Tully Blanchard and uh, Magnum TA, um, I quit match. So yeah, what, what was in the a cage? Yeah, <laughs> <In a> cage. <laughs> the United States Championship. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, interesting story of how I got into this one. And I think I, I went on a journey with a friend of mine called Robin Owen. Um, we met at university and we bonded over wrestling straight away. We still do. We have a weekly chat about AEW Dynamite. And we we set up on this mission and we, we kind of lapsed midway through, not mainly just because of our lives kind of became busier and we haven't quite got it back together. But we decided to start a podcast because again, part of that agenda I mentioned earlier is history is written by the winners. And actually, WCW and NWA have some of the greatest moments in wrestling. Um, and and so we just his it was I think it was originally his idea. He said, "Why don't we go back and watch every Starcade in order and do a podcast episode about each?" So we're like, "Yeah, that sounds great." Because I've always missed. Like I think we all know. Don't need to talk about it too much, but when WCW got bought by WWF, um, it, it's never been the same since. And um, I've always missed WCW. Um, and so we thought, yeah, let's go back and watch the Starcades. And then it was um, it was an education because we started at Starcade 83 and we couldn't believe what we were watching. Mm-hmm. It was like going from going from watching, say, 2014 WWE, and you turn on Starcade 83 and you're like, it's presented like Sky Sports. It's like there's, it's total, no irony. This is how it is. It's messy. It's like a sports broadcast. Um, and some of the matches are like, eh. some some dude in trunks versus another dude in trunks. One of them's young. And it's literally just, yeah, that's the match. And oh, well, he's, he's an up and comer. He's got, you know, he managed to get that move in and, Maybe we'll get to see it. And some of the finishes are a bit odd, but re- like boxing, it's like, oh, is the referee called for the? Oh, yeah, the referee said that's it. Okay, well, I guess that's it. So-and-so is the winner. Um, and also the commentary from, you know, everyone, you know, people like Jim Ross talk about Gordon Soley uh, and Bob Cordell, and their commentary is so grounded. It was, it was a culture. It was like having a cold shower. It was so grounded. And they were making what we would now call the rest hold, you're making rest holds lasting for four minutes really interesting talking about the 
the, the, the anatomy and what, what's happening when someone applies this, this hold and all this stuff. And um, so anyway, we got to Starcade 85 and we were warmed up into the style. And, and first of all, Magnum TA, I remember Dusty Rhodes saying if he didn't, he had a tragic accident. And if he hadn't have had that accident, he was like, he would have been our Steve Austin. Like, no question. He would have been, he would have, for, for five years, he would have been like as big as Steve Austin was in the 90s. And I think he's got a point. Because um, he just had, as you can see, if everyone goes back and watch that match, the crowd are behind him so much. He's kind of a hard man, but he's still got like, you can hear the girls screaming as well. And... Um, so anyway, so I discovered it later on. Is my is the answer to the question? Mm -hmm. These old Starcades, and Ma that Magnum. There's many matches that stick out that I always try and get people onto, but I really wanted to pick something from that Starcade era, to to hopefully just anyone who's never been that far back to just watch it and go, oh wow, this is what wrestling can be, and what we were talking about before. This is two guys who have a grudge, who want to hurt each other. Simple as that, and. It's it's how a cage match should be. It's and you know every every there's a different flavor for every fan and you don't want every match to be like this. And I'm not I don't love I'm not a huge hardcore or weapons blood match guy. But when it's called for and you're in a steel cage and you and you know it's an I quit match, then it's probably going to involve blood. So mm -hmm. these two just go at it and you watch it again and you go, were there that many like wrestling moves in it not really <laughs> you know and just reminding you the simple things like there's one bit where you know i think magnum t like clocks him with the right hand and and tully blanchard like falls back and falls between the ropes like down to the bottom of the cage and he's just you can just tell he's just completely helpless and it's just reminding people of little things like that are actually really horrendous <laughs> you know if that actually happened and you read the selling is is so I hear people talk about obviously they're they're the experts, not me, but I hear Steve Austin on his podcast talk about the lost art of selling. And these guys sell and it just becomes it's logical because me, me and my mate Robin, when we were watching it, we couldn't believe how brutal it was. And they're literally shoving the microphone into each other's face at every possible moment, shouting. I don't know whether you like you notice this, but the the shouts and the 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 dialogue on the microphone between them is horrendous. And like, it's really violent. It's like, say it. And he's like, no, no. And it's like, hi, it's, but it's realistic. It's like, this guy's trying to jab a wooden chair into his eye. <laughs> and it's like, that's what two, it's like a bar fight. So I think um, to me, it's just, it's, it's the, it's something again, maybe this is my agenda, but a reminder of what, is possible with pro wrestling. Um, it, it can be a real fight, and, and you three minutes in, you forget that it's pro wrestling. It's, it's who's going to win. So, for all those reasons, I think I think it's one of the best brutal matches I've ever seen. Mm. I, I, there's a, there's loads of things that I love about that kind of era, and, and yeah, I've kind of as a fan dug dug into quite a lot of those older matches. Um, I, I I really love the entrance. Like Tully's entrance, it's just really kind of cinematic, actually, and it it sort of feels. And I love the film and the quality of the filming. I think it's really yeah nice. Like it has a really kind of obviously it's old, but it feels like film. It doesn't look 
Um, it has a kind of look about it, which I really like, and the lighting I really like. Um, yeah. And as soon as that kind of entrance finishes, it's then offset with this real kind of kitchen sink, which is brutal, brutalism, yeah. and the kind of really, really quite barbaric. Um, yeah, and then, because there's other matches of that, I was, I'm not sure if it's the same Starcade or if it's maybe one earlier, which is um, Greg Valentine and Rowdy Roddy Piper. Yeah, you know, Street you know, Fight. Horrendous. Again, yeah, reaches, and I think I think both of them bleed very, very heavily. Yeah. But, so I, I had, like, a conversation about um, hardcore wrestling, deathmatch wrestling with a wrestler, and one of the ways that she was describing it, um, or one of the reasons that she thinks it, felt it was a really powerful way of wrestling is um, that we can all kind of relate to a lot of the kind of acts of violence in those type of matches, whereas a lot of wrestling we can't, as an audience necessarily, like, I don't know I mean, I do know what it's like to fall in a wrestling ring, but most people don't like know how to what a, like a power bomb would feel like, or what a body yeah. slam would feel like. But um, a metal fence, or you know, cutting, Hard wire. Or cutting yourself oh, feels wow. like, yeah, to, to to have a paper cut to to um, yeah to to bang your arm on something metal, like it brings in a kind of extra level of um, tension. Yeah, and when because there's a bit when I think um, off the back of that. Obviously, deathmatch wrestling and all that is is a completely different scene, and there's an audience for that. Um, but for me, what what I think separates this and what I think has been lost a bit now is that if you do have some kind of street fight or hardcore match, um, the more you use weapons that seem like they're going to take longer to get the win, the more silly you look. So it's like somebody that uh, the chair gets thrown in and then Tully Bland, he doesn't, he's not going to pick up the wooden chair and smash it over him. He's going to smash the chair, pick up a stake from it and jab it into his eye. That is efficient. And that's brutal. Whereas, you know, setting up, I think the problem is for this is just obviously my taste is when you have a hardcore match, like, like ladder matches now they've, they've just, they've jumped the shark. Because they're not really trying to get the belt at the top of the ladder. They're trying to set up stunts for the audience. But if you're trying to set up stunts for the audience, it makes me not like you because you're not, you haven't got integrity because you're not trying to win. Whereas both these guys are trying to win like that at all costs. And I think that's really powerful in a hardcore match. Like even you think about, this just popped in my head, but when, and it was horrendous, but when The Rock against Mankind, I think at a Royal Rumble, and it was oh, an yeah. aggregate match. Yeah, and, it was beautiful. And, 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 and like, even though it's horrendous, and I don't, I don't want, I don't necessarily want wrestlers to sacrifice themselves this much, but if you were, if you didn't care, and all you wanted was the belt, you would handcuff a person and hit them over the head until they quit. That's logical. <laughs> it's brutal, but it's logical. So I think, uh, that's what I love about this match. And I think a lot of modern match, and it doesn't have to be, that's the thing as well. Bring it back to basics or you, a wooden chair. That's all you, a wooden chair and a microphone. That's brutal. You don't need all the bells and whistles necessarily. So that's what I love about it. Yeah. yeah and I, I, I agree. And I, sorry, Sam. No, that's, go ahead. No, I think I, I totally agree. And, and um, 
And I, I actually recently rewatched that Rock Mankind match as well. I watched it through my, my hands because it's horrendous. Amazing, but horrendous. Um, and I agree. And I, I wonder if you had anything, either of you had any thoughts about the audio in this? Because I had to turn my TV down because, the, <laughs> because of the discussion on the mic, which was just like ear bleedingly loud. Um, but made loads, in terms of just what you've been saying there, Sam, about like, I, I believe this is a fight. Like, if you're in a fight and somebody tells you to quit and you're not going to quit, you're not, you're going to be shouting that at the top of your lungs and yeah. you're going to have caution on the mic. So rather than kind of cleaning it all up and making it all kind of perfect, the distortion on the mic is like, for me, kind of it sits alongside the stabbing in the eye with the wood. Like yeah. they, mm. they are, they are theatrical devices actually to create a scene both at the same time they come together and and yeah i've never seen this match before and was gobsmacked by it had no idea amazing so thank you for sharing oh no that's great if you have some thoughts about that audio thing perhaps i think there was something really clever about how it was and this comes back to what you said right at the start about how it kind of um and this is a bit of an assumption because i've not watched the kind of build up to it and i know it was a match that was built and a lot of the you know the crowd reaction. The reason it's quite famous is there was a very very long build to the point where everyone in that arena knew that these two people wanted to kill themselves, yeah. kill each other, not themselves. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it it does sort of set aside wrestling, doesn't it? It's like okay, well this is a wrestling match. Let's put this to one side and pretend to actually try and kill each other. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, and it, it's uh, well. First of all, the. Claire, what you said about the audio, like me and my mate Robin, when we watched it, we we just we were traumatized by the audio. Yeah. And and the thing is, is it's the simple things. Again, it's seeing two grown men who look that macho and with those physiques. And like like I mean, Magnet has got a great physique. He looks macho. Tully Blanchard just looks dangerous. Mm. And hearing those guys scream like that, it's it's you it's that's what happens when you if you've ever you know when you witness a real fight that's mm. the kind of things that that's the kind of thing that's that shocks you and and it's that it's that element of it um and then I also think of what you said sam it, it's and again i can't remember who said the quote it was a wrestler a, a wrestler from the 80s i think and he said i can't i might not be able to make you believe that wrestling is real but i can make you believe that i'm real yeah and it's like one of those where it's like similar to bret hart and steve austin when they fought at wrestlemania you watch that match now and at the beginning you're like i know this isn't legit but these two people hate each other and they are gonna beat the crap out of each other and and not in a kind of because in a in a in a safe way so i think there's a lot of confusion because i'm not one of those fans that like I don't like seeing wrestlers do stiff, um, realistic stuff like that. I, I'm not a big um, what do they call it? Um, what do they call it? The strong style. Like obviously, there's different levels to that, and a bit of it, you know, and a bit of stiffness and all that. Some wrestlers, you know, make it work really well. But I think I, I don't really. I'm not here to see you guys hurt yourselves on purpose. That's why it's better than UFC and boxing is because. I want I want you guys to, to like entertain me but not destroy your bodies as well. And that's the art of wrestling, I think. Um, so and even though these two guys are bleeding and all that, you, you do get the impression that 
you don't get the impression that it goes too far really mm -hmm. um so so yeah it's it's a bit of a bit of a masterclass and i hope anyone who's listening goes and checks it out if they haven't checked it out before like magnum ta tony blanchard and then stay after it for the rick flair main event against dusty mm -hmm. roads yeah you'll start to that with watching this era of starcade because i remember i didn't about uh uh, you growing up, Sam, obviously, Clay, you came to a bit later, but I remember you'd hear wrestlers going, oh, Ric Flair's the best of all time. And I'd be like, really? Like, really? Because I'd, I'd only seen him in, like, 90s WWF. And you go back and watch these Starcades. He can make an hour match. You know, he talks about his hour-long matches, but some of his Starcade made events with Dusty, with Lex Luger, with Harley Race, and he's just yeah. incredible, incredible. Yeah, the, the Harley the Harley Race ones are a really good one to go back and watch. I think is that that's a case as well, isn't it? I think. Um, I think eighty three was eighty three was him against Harley Race, and then I think the return match was a cage in eighty four, perhaps, and then eighty five was against Dusty, and then there's a later one where he where Lex Luger is this like young sports like gifted athlete who's given a shot, and uh, it's it's a really good story, really good story to that one. Yeah, cool. Well, um, I, I feel we could talk about wrestling matches forever, but conscious of time, um, <laughs> um, grappling arts always going over time, but there we are. Never mind. Um, maybe you could tell us a little bit, Sam, about um, your new film that you're currently in post-production of, right? So, yeah. um, so with all this background in wrestling and everything you've told us around uh, your acting career and, and all your successes there, your most recent or kind of current will be coming out soon film is a short called Screwjob. I think it is it your directorial debut is that right? Yeah. Yes so um, perhaps you could tell us a bit about about Screwjob how it came about and what we can expect from this film. So Screwjob is a short film that is currently in post-production it's about a female pro wrestler single mother working class girl from Essex who um, is getting a bit frustrated of a not getting the brakes, injuries are piling up, and she gets put in a position where she has a dilemma about whether to take action that goes beyond the accepted action, let's just say. And um, it was born out of, I've wanted to, and again, you, when you've been acting for a while, um, you start to, you read a lot of scripts and you kind of go and you see people directing films and you go, you know what? I reckon I could do that. <laughs> and uh, and I've been wanting to direct something for a while, even if just to, just to be like, what would something that I directed look like and what would it feel like and be like? And then I thought, well, if I'm going to do a short film that I'm going to make, I might, because I know how hard it is to get a film made, even if it is a short film, I might as well make it a film that I would love to see. Like, what short film would I love to see? So I thought, put all of my, you know, things that I'm swimming around in my head, my influences and, you know, some of the conversations I'm having with myself and, you know, messages and themes that fascinate me and put it all in the pot. And I was like, well, I reckon I, I want to do something about wrestling. And, and then I thought, because obviously, I th obviously the the complete self centered one would be to be like, right, it's a wrestling film. I'm the lead. I'm the wrestler. Here we go. 
But because also, and again, I said at the beginning thing, I, I'm, I'm in total awe of professional wrestlers. I actually went and did a training session with Greg Burridge at Lucha Britannia after I worked with Greg, with Stu Bennett in I Am Vengeance, which is on Netflix. And, um, and my God, it's the hardest train I've, I've ever done. And not that I didn't have respect before, but after that, I was like, wow, this is one of the just truly special professions that exists. Um, so I thought, I, I, I can't be, I, I was like, on a low budget without lots of training, I don't want to insult the audience and portray myself as a wrestler. That also might be to do with as well. I have a certain image of what a wrestler should look like as well. And I'm like, Hey, 190 pounds. That's mm, I'd rather, I'd want to, I'd want a six month period to get to, you know, some Davy boy Smith territory. Um, so anyway, so then I thought, well, why don't I, why don't, what can I, how can I make a virtue of that? And then I thought, well, why don't I make the lead count? We don't, we've seen, you know, Mickey Rourke's the wrestler and we've seen some other wrestling films, but why, what if it was a female wrestler? Why not? And then I started thinking, oh, that's actually quite interesting. And then what if the booker is male? And then you've got the male-female dynamic, which adds an extra bit of tension, romance, no romance, resentment, all that kind of stuff. Um, and it kind of also, as well as that, it was also elements of you know growing up in a working class area and feeling like you're not getting the opportunity you're not getting the breaks the powers that be are controlling a rigged system and even though you know as an actor sometimes in my acting career I've felt like kind of like Bret Hart <laughs> you'd be like everybody knows <laughs> I'm I'm great at this thing but you're not giving me the shot give me a shot at the belt um, so there was a, a bit of that energy and, uh, but I think it's also good to have with any like piece of art that you make, it's good to have a bit of fire behind it. So, yeah. And then it just kind of happened quite organically. Um, uh, someone who I knew messaged me and said, by the way, you do know that I produce short films that have lead female characters in like, that's, that's my gimmick, so to speak. So I was like, Oh really? Well, I've got this thing. It's about female wrestler, working class, da, da, da. And then uh, th this is Aletha Shepard from Shot of Tea Productions. And then she's an amazing producer. She made it happen. We did a two-day shoot, super, super low budget. Um, and yeah, it's we're in post-production. We've, we've done the final cut. We're now waiting. We're, I'm securing a couple of um, music tracks. Um, and yeah, then it'll be on to grading and post-production. But yeah, I'm really intrigued to see how it's received um it's like a i'd say even though it's set in wrestling i don't it, it should be something that non-wrestling fans can and if anything i, I want to reach i like i like the idea of it making a splash in the wrestling world um but also i like the idea of it making a splash at film festivals where the, the those kind of people and that kind of audience wrestling either isn't on their radar or they dismiss it um, as an art form or as a sport so that's I guess my little agenda of of making that film and I do have a an idea for it to be a feature film um, and again I, I'd want it to be a feature film because um, one of my big influences on it was actually A Star Is Born believe it or not the Bradley Cooper film um, so because I wanted I wanted to be about a relationship and and like struggle rather than it being 
it's a wrestling movie for wrestling fans. It is, but I want it to cross over as well. So that's the backstory, I guess. I'm really interested. I, I, you know, I think I, I could pick out a, mil a million things there that I'm interested to talk more about. But I'm particularly interested in this idea of like, um, kind of in essence, kind of using wrestling um, to make a kind of broader comment on the rigged nature of life. Mm -hmm. um, because we've talked quite a lot, um, Sam and I talk quite a lot, and I talk quite a lot with other people about about wrestling as being something that both that kind of mirrors the world in really mm. interesting ways. And I'm, I, yeah, maybe I, I I'm not sure I have a question other than to say, could you talk a little bit more about that? Because I'm just really interested in like the way, in essence, the way that those wrestling stories, some of which we've been discussing today, kind of, um, kind of. Yeah, to kind of throw a mirror up to some of the some of the rigged nature of life, like to do with class and to do with gender, actually, yeah. um, that prevent people from like quote unquote getting the belt or getting the push. Mm. Um, you know, as you've already talked about with with your you know in in, in kind of acting um, circles. Yeah. So yeah, did you have anything else to kind of add on that? I'm just super intrigued by it. Yeah, I think, but it, I mean, it taps into. All of what you've described is actually elements of human nature. I think you, no matter what system you set up, no matter what constitution a country writes, no matter what government is elected or, or what governing body is appointed or voted in, uh, you know, power corrupts and corrupt power um, corrupts absolutely, as, they, as, as a wise man once said. So it's, it's the nature of... Of, of how we run things in the world. And it goes, it's in, you know, in one way, you know, there's a rigged system involved. You know, you look at, I look at acting, for example, and you on a simple level, you can go, well, my dad isn't a cast. My dad was a taxi driver, not a director. My mum's is a hairdresser, not an agent. Whereas, you know, Mr. Actor over here that had privileged parents got paid to go to Eton, that his casting director, family friends watched him at his showcase when he was 18 and he never even had to go to drama school he was just cast in the new Hugh Grant movie and then he's off to the races and he's won an Oscar by the time he's 27 mm -hmm. so it's that um and you hear and you hear a lot of it I love it when it comes out of professional wrestlers in their character you know you mm -hmm. could say so when you listen to someone like Steve Austin and how bitter and angry he was about getting wasted at WCW and and started cutting promos in ECW and just, you know, having vitriol for Eric Bischoff. And then by the time he comes to WWF, you know, he's, he's been up and down the road, as, as they say, and he's there to prove a point. Um, so I think it, it all goes hand in hand. But I think I'm not saying there's, there's an answer <laughs> to, no, no. to any of this, but but it's just a fascinating thing because it is, you know, because wrestling is a sport where the outcome is is predetermined sometimes you can have the pure talent that is the best but the person who is controlling the outcome just personally doesn't think so yeah. so sometimes that can be uh horrible and heinous unfair abusive or exploitative other times it can be just personal taste. I don't like your brand, mate. So mm. I'd rather have this guy, you know, and we've seen it with bookers in wrestling since time immemorial. Um, 
you could say when you go to UFC and boxing, it's it's potentially more meritocratic because if you knock this guy out or you knock this girl out, then you've won and you've earned the right to step up the ladder. But at the same time, there's politics even in boxing and UFC and someone else might be deemed more worthy and you know might be deemed to have more box office power right or wrong and all this kind of stuff so it, it's just an endlessly fascinating thing but I, I do i love that element what what i do love about what i will say is that and i think even this chimes through with films and wrestling and everything that i've gravitated towards is um and we all love watching an underdog fight against the odds um i think that's what can be so captivating like goldberg coming in on his own to face Hollywood Hogan and 30 members of the NWO and just just putting himself on the line and going for it. And I think that's that's what we look for in life is those those moments where you go, you know what? I'm all in. I'm jumping off the cliff because mm-hmm. I want it. I want it and I'm willing to fail to get it. So I think that's hopefully what is in the film. And I think that's what I love. And what um, I don't know it feels like it's like the human, the human struggle, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, great, um, Sam. This has been a, a wonderful, um, dynamic, and fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for giving your time so generously to us this afternoon. It's just been it's been awesome. I feel like I'll be thinking about this for the whole of Bank Holiday weekend and beyond. So. Um, Perhaps you could just tell us like uh, where we can find you, where we can find out more about Screwjob, what's coming up next for you that we can watch out for you in and about. So I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Sam Benjamin now, N-O-W. Um, I, I'm on Vero, if anyone's on Vero, um, at Sam Benjamin. So yeah, drop me a line, say hello, follow me, whatever you want to do. Um, in terms of next things coming out, so if you haven't watched it and you want to watch a cheesy British 80s throwback action movie with Bad News Barrett, then I Am Vengeance Retaliation is on Netflix in the UK and US. Um, screw jobs in post-production, so I'll post when I have some news about that. And yeah, apart from that, it's just one of those where I've got, I'm auditioning, I've got other projects that I'm working on. I've got, um, like I said, we've got a crime caper feature film that, uh, an independent movie that we're making um, called The Payday. So again, we haven't started shooting that. We're hoping to shoot in the next couple of months. And yeah, apart from that, um, I'm, you know what? I'm just genuinely cannot wait to go to any wrestling event, <laughs> sit in the crowd and watch some wrestling with other wrestling fans other people cheer and boo, get angry, get happy, and uh, yeah, just get into the mix with that again. Like I don't know about you guys, but I've it's actually made me really. It's 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 been if if there was any doubt, the power of live professional wrestling is untouchable, and also just it's it's just like the best form of theatre, isn't it? It's just can't as we've learned, you can't. You can't just have two people without a crowd. It's got to be, you've got to have that spectacle and that story and that um, heroic and villainous activity as well. So I can't wait for that. I think it's like a lot of places are like, what is it, July and September in terms of UK? What about you guys? When's your. Um, um, we are loosely looking at the autumn. 
So okay. early autumn, hopefully, we've got a couple of different projects that are kind of within the within the resurgence kind of world, but not necessary resurgence canon, and that we're hoping to unveil fairly soon. Um, and then probably a, a return to relative normality by the end of the year. Yeah, it's probably a safer bet to <laughs> rather than <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, we'd, we'd love, like, it'd be great to see you at a show sometime, Sam, and uh, come and come and cheer and boo with, with our crowd up in Nottingham. Yeah, yeah, wicked. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, cool. Thanks so much for joining us, Sam. This was, it was brilliant, to, brilliant to chat to you. Um, yeah, it was we'll really you. interesting. Yeah, I really yeah. enjoyed it. You're welcome. Bye. Thanks for having me on. No probs. We'll let you um, get on with your bank holiday. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to the episode. For more episodes, including interviews with Spike Trevay, Gene Money and Charlie Evans, search Grappling Arts on Spotify, iTunes and YouTube.